G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the shows at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts and Stitcher, so no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. But today I'd like to introduce you to Linda Mussel, who is doing a PhD in political studies under the supervision of Dr. Margaret Little. Welcome to Grad Chat, Linda. Hello. So it's great to have Linda on the show. And I actually got to get to know Linda a little bit um, better last year, actually, at the Lake Shift. That's right, yes. And uh, so... I very kindly gave you a nice cabin overlooking the lake. You did. It I was don't a know great how you cabin. managed that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a bit jealous myself. <laughs> now, I did a bit of digging and I wanted to give you a bit of background on Linda. So I went on to the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation website to get the skinny on Linda. <laughs> so I hope you don't mind me doing that. <laughs> and it says, and I quote, Linda Mussel is a doctoral candidate in political studies at Queen's University who is passionate about prison justice and decolonizing research. Her work is focused on breaking cycles of intergenerational incarceration in countries grappling with colonial legacies, specifically Canada, Australia and Aotearoa, or as we know, most people know it, New Zealand. She is active in, the, in community efforts inside and outside prisons, including Canadian Families and Corrections Network, the Frontier College, Prison for Women, Memorial Collective, and Letters for the Inside and the New Canadian Clo- Coalition for Children of Incarcerated Parents. That's not a bad biography. What do you reckon about it? Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's nice when someone else writes it for you, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you don't have to worry so much. <laughs> But that, that's, uh, that was a really, what I liked about it, it really summarised all the things that you're doing and I, I guess it shows your passion for those particular areas. Mm-hmm. But before we go on to your actual research, as a Trudeau scholar mm-hmm. at Queen's, what opportunities has that given you to help you with your research? Mm-hmm. So um, the foundation provides funding in addition to like a stipend, also travel and research funding. So that is indispensable for trying to do really ambitious work. Absolutely. All researchers love that. Yes. Uh, And it provides leadership institutes throughout the year as platforms for development. So the last institute that I went to a few weeks ago was in Yellowknife, which was... Hey, good one. Yes. And the next one will be in Washington, D.C. So, you know, places I probably wouldn't have gone to otherwise. And so what do you mean by leadership institute? So they're institutes that are developed by the people who are chosen as mentors and fellows. Okay. Um, So I'm a scholar. I'm a student and so the mentors and the fellows put together learning for us so uh, workshops and also uh, visits to the communities where we're situated so that we can develop as leaders so that we can develop a network that's awesome yeah I didn't realize that was all part of it that's great obviously there's certain things you must do as part of that yes Mm -hmm. Um, in addition to that we are going to be working on developing a conference okay the scholars in my year and also on creative uh, information dissemination brilliant so yeah there's a lot of a lot of great things that they're getting us to do 
And it's interesting, too, because political studies often does very well at getting the Trudeau scholarship. Yes, I think it's because they really want to see people that are doing work that is translating to change in the community. Right. They like work that uh, is looking at how to influence policy. So I think it makes sense. Yeah. And they like work that is connected to community. And I think political studies has been doing that well, but that's not to discount any of the other disciplines. No, no, exactly, (laughs) because we do have other ones too. Yes. So let's get into your research. Mm -hmm. As mentioned, you are looking at breaking cycles of intergenerational criminalization in Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. And so you have titled your study, let me see where it is. Oh, here it is. Handing over the keys, intergenerational legacies of incarceration policy in Canada, Australia, and Aotearoa, New Zealand. Can you give me an overview of your research and what was the background to this study? Sure. Um, so maybe I'll give a little bit of background first because I think sure. it will help ex- explain uh, how I've designed the research. Mm-hmm. So to give some background, generations of people within one family or one community can be criminalized and experience criminalization mm-hmm. and confinement in prisons and other penal institutions. For example, so parents, kids, uncles, aunts, cousins, grandparents, and one family can be criminalized. But there's very little acknowledgement of this experience or this injustice uh, in the policy or academic spheres. Okay. In addition to little attention, there's very little action by policymakers. So just to give like an example of what that might look like, there's not enough tailored resources or supports for impacted family and community. And those that are available might view family very instrumentally. So for example, visits to a prison could be seen as a way to improve prisoner behavior or rehabilitation. So it's not looking at the benefits intrinsic to the family or the community. Right. And then also attached to that is a lot of stigma, uh, determinism about criminalized people, uh, families, communities, and a lack of partnership with people that are living this uh, experience. So that's kind of the background that's sort of motivating this work. Can I just add one thing that or ask yes. one thing there? Yeah. So when you're talking about these families mm-hmm. across these three countries, yeah. so we're we looking at just indigenous families or are we looking at colonial families? Because I know the word colonialism was yeah. in there, so yeah. I could I could potentially say you know, white families as opposed to minority families. Are you looking at that or is it in general? I'm focusing on Indigenous families and those intergenerational trends. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I guess that leads well into like my research. Yay. (laughs) So so I'm I'm focusing on Indigenous families and communities. Um, I'm using critical policy analysis to Mm -hmm. unpack the legacies of carceral policies in these three countries. The specific policy framework I'm using is called intersectionality-based policy analysis. Okay. Um, and that's a framework that was developed out of SFU, which is where I, I came from. I did my Simon Fraser University. Yes, yes. sorry. <laughs> and as part of that methodology, I've, I've already conducted hundred over 100 interviews with a range of people. So including people with lived experience, confinement, their family, right. frontline services, policymakers, other stakeholders. So the goal is to really center the voices of people that are closest to this experience. Right. And then also to give room for narratives uh, right. within that work. Can I butt in again then? Because yeah. yeah. I, I do that, don't I? <laughs> when you're looking at this group, yeah. are you looking at or looking at policy? Are you looking on a federal or provincial or in Australia state? What are, we, what are you looking at? Or both? I'm looking at both. You're looking yeah. at both? Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking at those 
levels of policy, but I'm also interested in non-governmental organizations and how they've also been uh, offering support or how they sort of view the problem or the issue. Oh, that's huge then. Yeah, there's there's a lot in this context. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I I found it interesting when I first moved to Kingston. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, I didn't know much about Kingston other than it was the first seat of parliament in, in Canada. And then everyone said, oh, no, we're known for a couple of things, our universities, the health system, and the prisons. And the military. Oh, and the military, yes. Thank you very much. And I go, oh, prisons, how many prisons? And they go, oh, we've got lots. And I ended up living near the the prisons. And everyone said, do you really want to live next to a prison? And Mm -hmm. I go, isn't it the safest place (laughs) (laughs) to be close by? (laughs) But then the reason I brought that up is, you know, the work that you're doing, and clearly you've got a lot of, like, a lot of information that you can work with how much of it has you looked have you looked at here in Kingston and why mm-hmm. is it important for Kingston mm-hmm. this topic is important for Kingston mm-hmm. because I imagine a lot of people once they're here would once they get released they're going out yeah going away from Kingston yeah well some people do stay in the community okay it, it really depends on the kind of sentence and if their family moves to be closer to them um, so some people after they stay in the community and some leave But in terms of why this topic is important to Kingston, so, you know, as the unofficial prison capital, I think Mm -hmm. that there's a lot for us to really sort of think about, reflect on as people that live here, that work here, you know, people that also work in prisons, the volunteer in prisons that are studying, you know, around prisons. Um, I think there's a lot to think about. So, you know, as I've been living here and working and researching, I've really been thinking about what this means to Kingston in terms of like ethics, you know, questions about whether the current sort of configuration of policy is just, you know, the human rights around prisons and the impacts not only on prisoners, but their family living in the community, um, other people going into prisons, working there, volunteering, you know, all of those implications. And then the second thing I'm really thinking about is funding. So the public funding attached to prisons whether the use of, you know, the billions of dollars going into prisons, if that's the right way, or we should look at other ways, uh, community options, mental health and substance use treatment, housing, education within Kingston and other communities. Right. And then the third thing I'm really thinking about is like mandate. So, you know, questions of whether the current figuration is actually meeting the mandates of rehabilitation and safety, you know, not with within Kingston, but also beyond Kingston too. So those are the things I'm really thinking about. And I think that's why this is relevant. You know, mm-hmm. all of these things are really interlinked with what I'm looking at. But you're looking very much on the, the family structure yeah. of, of how that is. So currently, what are the what are the, some of the policies that you think are a bit old-fashioned now that need to be changed? Is that too early to say right now? Well, I've, I've definitely been going through you know, the evolution of policies in each of the cases. I've been looking at interviews and what people are telling me. And I'll talk a bit more about this later when I talk about, like, what are some of the preliminary findings, but, uh, findings, but like, um, you can look at it at, like, a smaller level and you can look at it at a broader level. So, like, at a smaller level, there's things like um, programming or visitation things within prisons and whether or not they truly are facilitating those relationships to be strong or be rebuilt right and then at the broader level you could think about you know our families being supported in terms of you know their health their well-being you know if they have any issues that could be actually created from policies over generations so you know if, if the policies are actually mm-hmm. you know, helping or hindering right. families with those experiences right right yeah. so we talked about why it's important for kingston 
What about in other areas, regional, national, and of course in the international sector? Because I mean, you, you've chosen three three countries that are part of the Commonwealth. Yeah, and three countries that have a lot of colonial legacies. Yeah. So why is it important to understand that? So in terms of those commonalities where you see the repeat and these patterns of, of very harmful legacies, very harmful policies, something that I found is really interesting is that there's been a lot of borrowing of policies across the countries okay. in terms of policies right. in prisons, risk assessments, all of these things. And I think it's not really acknowledged that they're, you know, that there's so much sharing and application right. of policies which may actually not be best suited to a given place right. if you're just taking it from Canada and applying it to another group. So right. I think that is something that makes it very relevant. And I'm going to add one more point there. Mm-hmm. Because we're in Canada right now, uh, and this may be in some of your preliminary findings too, I don't know, yeah. were you finding differences between, say, what happens in Quebec? And what happens in the rest of the provinces? So in terms of each country, I picked like two local locations to look at. Okay. So in Canada, I looked at Kingston, Kingston. Uh, which is where I'm situated, and then Vancouver, which is where I'm from. Oh, okay. So that I makes sense. So yeah. you don't know the other part yet. So I haven't focused in as much on Quebec, for example. Right. But there are a lot of provincial differences, especially when you're looking at the provision of social services, when you're looking at provincial incarceration. Mm-hmm. But I can't really say the specific things about Quebec. So which which cities did you choose in Australia? Brisbane and yeah. Canberra. Oh, Canberra? Okay. <laughs> the policy centre. Yes, that's right. Yeah. The meeting place of Australia. Yeah. And in New Zealand? Auckland and Wellington. Okay, so that makes sense. The urban centres. Right, yeah. right. So how did you come to do work in this area? And I guess how mm-hmm. is community work important to doing this work? So I've been volunteering around, you know, prisons and around kids that were impacted by prisons for several years now. Um, Out of choice or just, yeah, yeah. so it's just something you decided, let's do this. Yeah, so I guess it's been like a lifelong sort of interest. So I I grew up um, in Surrey, uh, you know, which has a certain, I don't know if you've heard about the reputation of Surrey. No, I don't. Okay, well, I know know Surrey, England, Surrey Hills (laughs) and Sydney. Well, I grew up in Surrey. Um, You know, my family didn't have like the best, you know, economic means. Um, You know, we were on or under the poverty line and all the things that kind of are attached with that, you can imagine. So, um, so I was seeing, you know, other people I know who were having different, you know, experiences with, uh, with criminalization. And I was sort of wondering, you know, how I was able to be, to navigate that and come out to this position of extreme privilege I'm in now. And so, you know, now that I'm in this place of privilege, I especially want to be trying to amplify those experiences and those voices. Right, um, right. And doing work there. Um, so yeah, I've been doing volunteer work, um, advocacy work. I really don't think it's enough to be doing this work from like a library or a desk. I think you need to be, you need to be talking and you need to be working alongside people. Yes. Living this. Living it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's true for a lot of research, but I think especially here, I think you really need to talk to people who are impacted and hear what they want to see happen instead of just like assuming or like analyzing on your own and saying, you know, I think this is best for you. No, right. you need to talk to yeah, people. Yeah, we can't assume anything. Yeah. And so I th- why is community work important on a continuing basis? I really think that you, I want the work to be useful to people like in the mm-hmm. policy sphere. And that's why I'm doing, you know, policy analysis and using that language. But I really want it to be useful to people like in other levels too. So at the community level, the grassroots level, people with lived experience so that they can use this as a tool as well. Right. So 
you said earlier that you've, I think you said earlier that you've you've done all your research now. Yeah. And first of all, how long did that take you? Because you you were doing. You, apart from looking at arch- archives and things, I would imagine you're also talking to people. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I did like a, a literature kind of content review and then I did over 100 interviews. Um, so I've done all the interviews now. I am thinking about going back and like in terms of the interpretation of the results. Right, right. So, but right now I'm just, I'm trying to go through all the interviews and, and try to understand and make sense of what everybody's been saying. Did you let the people you interviewed just say whatever came into their mind, or did you have specific sort of questions you wanted to ask them? So I had I had a different approaches. So if people wanted to just tell their story and their experience, I gave a platform for that. So just like a narrative. Yeah, <laughs> Some people <laughs> preferred more of a structured sort of you know focus on like okay, well like what is in place, what can we improve, how are you know what's missing in the conversation. Right. Um, and those questions were coming straight out of that framework that I was talking about, the okay. intersectionality framework. It has 12 questions, you know, descriptive, uh, sort of uncovering what is this topic right. um, in a critical way, and then transformative. So like what's in place, but like how can it be improved? What do people want to see change? So those are the questions that I asked. Right. Yeah. So with all that then, with all that lovely information that you've got, you've got to start analysing it. Yeah. <laughs> Does anything jump out to you right now in your preliminary findings? I mean, what kind of things is already being highlighted from that work? Yeah, so there's a lot. Um, <laughs> and there's a lot of differences in terms of who I was talking to. So people in the policy sphere come from a different perspective and have a different idea of what's happening and what they want to see happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then people in frontline services and people with lived experience. Um, I think I'll probably, I'll use the space to sort of underscore the people with lived experience have been telling me. Right. So in terms of what they've been telling me, like, um, despite this being an area, you know, looking at the ripple effects on family that doesn't get much attention, they're saying this is an issue. This is something that they're experiencing, but they're also saying that the focus is really on the individual, on, you know, risk management, on like managing, you know, specific uh, portfolios. It's not really looking at the family altogether. It's not looking looking at at the unit, looking at each individual person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, looking at a prisoner in prison and, you know, having something around that or looking at maybe a child who might be framed or labeled as a delinquent, but it's not looking at the well-being of family altogether and right. the healing needs of a family. So are you saying then, just from that, yeah. that policies and things that have been put in play to date are not talking to each other? Yeah, very siloed. Right. Yeah, that's definitely one of the major things I'm hearing, right. not only from people that are criminalized, but also the other um, people I was talking to. Is mm-hmm. Things are very siloed, um, and in some cases there could be a bit more of a holistic approach right. to supporting people. But I think one of the major things that could be different for the people that are ha- have a lived experience from like the people in other perspectives is they're saying that there needs to be changes made like earlier on. Um, to support families and also that a lot of people that are imprisoned and like separated from their kids and their families should not be so they also are critiquing just like that overall structure right right yeah. Ooh, there's a lot of different areas there isn't there that yeah. they have, you have to look at and yeah. I, I would imagine too as as you're looking across I, I know you're looking at two different areas in each each country yeah but looking across from local to provincial to federal yeah. how that all impacts each other and yeah. then even at the local the inmate the family members yeah extended family yeah 
there's a lot of different levels that, as you said, you've got to try and overcome and, and try and find a happy ground. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to it. One thing that's just sort of jumping to mind, like one other key thing that is really talked about by the people I was interviewing is that there really needs to be more partnership and sort of collaboration mm-hmm. to help. So it, it's not enough for a government to sort of go, be going top down with how to support families. Like rather there needs to be genuine partnership right, um, with communities. Is that even possible to get them all at the same table? Well, I think you need to be doing it with with different regions, with different right. communities, instead of just getting everybody together and trying mm-hmm. to do a blanket approach. Oh, it needs to be tailored. It right. needs to be really listening. Right, yeah. right. And, and so even with that stuff that you've looked, I mean, you've mentioned a couple of things, how we need to stop the silos and type, type stuff, but can we really break the cycle of criminalisation? I think so, yeah. Okay. And, and, and with what you're, and is it, you really think it's around the policy that can help make this policy plus programming, et cetera, et cetera. And like more transformative. More transformative. Change. So it, there are a lot of barriers. And mm-hmm. I've been, I was asking people about, okay, like what are the barriers to creating, to achieving this? And I guess one of the major ones is like, this is not short term change, uh, something that you can realize in the short term. This is a very long term thing it's going to require changing attitudes right um it's going to require changing the politicized nature of of incarceration it's not something that's a quick fix by any means right yeah and you've made your job harder because you're looking (laughs) at three different countries yeah and you mentioned earlier that so often policies and things have been borrowed from one country or another clearly the better way to go is what's correct for that particular country so with the with the research you're doing when you're coming to your various conclusions and recommendations are you look you're going to be looking at recommendations for each of the countries or overall this is roughly what we should be thinking of because there's three very distinct potentially four very distinct uh, ways of looking at it Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to be giving some like overall uh, common things that right. people across all countries are saying, but then there's going to be specific things that right. people in any given place I was talking to were saying. Big. <laughs> yeah, it's big, but I think it's good. I think is it is yeah. it coming together for you? In my head, yes. In your head? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's in your head. <laughs> Got to get down on paper. No, yeah. but uh, as long as it's coming together in your head, that's, yeah. that's good. And if you found even those that you've already talked to and like you said you're probably going to go back and have another round with some of them yeah is that because of well now you've got the information together you go you know what maybe i should have asked this question as well or is it because you want to go back to them saying this is what i'm finding if we could do this would this be something that could be helpful just to help the, the finalizing of what you wanted to achieve Right. I guess uh, both of those, but then maybe a third one that's a bit different. It's just like in terms of the actual interpretation, mm-hmm. you know, I'm one person from a very specific cool. background perspective. I really need to be talking to people with that are uh, living that. That can make it happen. Yeah. And also just ensuring that am I actually capturing this right? You know, what am I missing? And and or am I presenting this right? You right. Know? So I think that's probably the most important reason to go back. And then also at the end too, with your your final paper, mm-hmm. are you are you hoping to to get them to start opening the dialogue mm-hmm. of what could we potentially be doing or who should be coming to the table to try and figure out can we make this better to to break that cycle? Yeah, yeah. So. 
Yes, definitely want more dialogue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you're going to stir the pot, that's for sure. I'm, sh- I'm sure of that. So we've got a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. I'd like to actually ask you a bit more about some of the extracurriculars. And you did mention some some before in terms of the kind of volunteering and things. And we yeah. mentioned some of those in that little scenario or that little bio that we took from the Trudeau Foundation. Yep. Thank you very much, everybody. <laughs> but what did you, what were you doing at the P for Women, uh, the, for the P for Women Memorial Collective? Sure. So, um, so that's a collective of women uh, who were in prison in P4W, which is a prison in Kingston. Yeah. That's been closed for a while now. Yes, mm-hmm. it's been decommissioned since, I think, the year 2000. So the women that still live in the community. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't realise. Yeah, there's a lot of women that still live in the community. And then we also have a broader uh, network of women who've moved out of the community, but we keep in contact. Right. And then there's also women like me who are advocates mm-hmm. um, to support uh, that work. And so the women want a memorial garden to be created on the grounds of PPW, which is now owned privately and is going to be developed. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then we also do a healing circle every year on Prisoners Justice Day, which is August okay. uh, 10th. Uh, and we do that on the grounds of P4W. We have a circle right. uh, where women are able or invited in to, to speak. So it's really important healing work connected to that building that's ongoing. I thought the the main building was historical. So you could be able to do something there, couldn't you? Because even though it's the, the land itself has been bought by a private investor, isn't the main building a historical? It does have heritage designation mm-hmm. through the city of Kingston. But that is still being figured out at the city level, I think. Okay. The women in the group, what they really care about is having a garden, like a living right. monument to remember the women who, who were who there. Died. Yeah. Yeah. And then some of the other things, uh, these two I find fascinating, is the Canadian Families and Corrections Network, Mm -hmm. which is volunteering in prison, and then Mm -hmm. also the Canadian Coalition for Children with Incarcerated Parents. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about the one with the children. Yep. So, um, so both of them actually are kind of children centered. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but, um, Good. Well, so, um, I guess family. Yes. <laughs> so, um, the Canadian the coalition around um, kids with incarcerated parents is is new and it's kind of like the first of its kind in Canada. And okay. it's bringing. It came out of a workshop or a conference that the uh, Quakers of Canada yes. put together last year, and it's really about. Uh, there wasn't sort of a overall discussion of this in Canada yet. And so bringing together all these different stakeholders, organizations, you know, researchers to mm-hmm. really talk together and then also create like a uh, agenda for change. Right. So um, so that's fantastic. So you, you can get some inf- information out of that too, couldn't you? Well, to I a point, or, you, or you're not allowed to. <laughs> well, I haven't really been, I'm not really using that as like a way to get information. I'm, right. just, I'm using it as like a way to contribute. Right, um, which is good. Yeah, and then the other one, um, CFCN, so that is a national organization which is focused on providing supports for families. And so their, their focus um, in terms of what I'm doing is called um, visitor research visitor resource centers. I go into a local prison and I'm there as like a support person to provide uh, people visiting information about what we do and we can how we can support bringing resources uh, to help uh, kids who are there to engage right. with their incarcerated parents. That must be fascinating. Yeah, it, it's really... Is, is it fascinating but also upsetting or...? It, yeah, it, it's definitely um, emotionally impacting, mm-hmm. but I feel like I'm, I'm really 
contributing. contributing. Yeah, I feel like I'm I'm helping and something that can be scary, something that can be um, you know emotionally mm-hmm. <laughs> taxing for the people that are going to visit. So yeah, that's great. To do it. So it, you've clearly got a lot of a lot of work to still do yeah. because you've got a lot of information there. But yeah. I know, um, having met you that you will you'll do this justice i'm pretty sure you're going to do this justice so um thank you for taking on this this research i'm sure the three countries are going to benefit from it i hope so yes (laughs) and 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 even if yourself you mean the 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 volunteer work and things that you're doing it must be nice to be able to see here's what i'm doing there as a volunteer and here's what i'm doing to try and help make change Mm -hmm. so that's really good so best of luck with all of that thank you and uh enjoy some of your other Trudeau special projects and things too Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> which must be really nice so you must let us know when you're doing those so we can find out a bit more and let people know Absolutely. so thanks very much for coming on the show Linda thank you I appreciate um, it good 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 so that's it everyone a another week of grad chat suddenly comes to an end don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes Google podcast or Stitcher just type in a grad chat Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences.